in the end of the message this morning that has to do with church history. And the story from uh, the beginning here is from John Huss. He lived in um, what is modern-day Czechia, I believe is how you say it. Uh, Some of you might know it as Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic. Uh, Slovakia and the Czech Republic um, divided, and so it's north of uh, Austria, south of Germany, and Poland is where this city is. And there is a museum that you can go to that has uh, John Huss um, as the the memorial for this museum, uh, the place where he was uh, probably burned at the stake. And uh, you might not be able to read it on the screen here, but I'll read it for you. It says, alas, John Huss says, and he was only 45 uh, years old, Alas, drag my poor carcass to death. My trust is in the Almighty God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed me and called me to preach his gospel to the last breath of life. And according to uh, church history, he was preaching till July 6, 1415, when his life was exterminated. How do people... How do they think in order to go to the stake and knowing that they're going to die? What is the mindset that uh, was uh, these men had, these men and women have in church history? And we know Paul in church history probably went uh, to uh, be beheaded uh, in Rome. And uh, many, of the other, many of the apostles, all but one I believe, uh, died a martyr's death. And we have uh, martyrdom um, around us today. Uh, just not as prevalent in our country, uh, but you can read uh, from other countries around the world. Many countries, it's illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to worship like this. Uh, and yet, uh, to be encouraged uh, with uh, what we have from Second Corinthians 4, there's more encouragement for us, more ministry encouragement. And you're going to, at times in this message, probably like last week, you thought, if this is encouragement, I don't need it. <laughs> I thought as an encouragement it was something that we enjoyed and needed and appreciated, but we need encouragement. Uh, and why do we get encouragement uh, from this passage? Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. We do not lose heart, uh, be having this ministry. And then if you look at verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. So the mindset that Paul had Obviously, Paul is embracing as he goes on missionary journeys and establishes churches. And then the mindset of the minister he is writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we must know the mindset of, that Christ wants us to have as we minister for him. Because if we don't have the right mindset, we don't have the right ministry. If we don't think like Christ wants us to think, we're not going to act like Christ wants us to act. This is not complicated. It's hopefully simple. Uh, We need to think like Christ if we are going to uh, be like Christ. And to be like him is why he saves us. It's why we gather as his people and worship, to know Christ and to make him known. And anything we can do to help you here to know Christ, we found in Scripture that we are going to open God's word without shame. And we know we have a, a holiday tomorrow. And uh, many of you are dressed for the holiday today. Um, But Christianity is bigger than the 4th of July. Christianity is bigger than a couple weeks ago, Father's Day or Mother's Day, or any other holiday uh, that we could uh, celebrate. 
and uh, I understand Christmas and Easter, uh, very Christian holidays. But here we have a, a passage that is in, going to encourage us to have the mindset that would lead us to minister even if we were to face death as those uh, faced, um, as John Huss faced death uh, in 1415. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, We have this treasure. We'll just stop with that phrase. What is the treasure he's talking about? Well, if we go back, we have, every time we have a this or a therefore, we have to go back and see likely what he is talking about. And the best interpretation that I think we can come up with in the, in the context, context determines what Paul is talking about. He's talking about ministry. We understand that. What is he specifically talking about? Probably ministering, if you look at verse 4 with me. In this case, the God of this world, so the people that we're talking to in ministry, the God of this world is blinding the minds of those, of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Does that represent the gospel as well? Yes, it does. It was mentioned to me, and I know if you hear really strong preaching uh, that you can question your salvation. It doesn't matter how sure you are of your salvation. If you hear really strong preachers, uh, they may make you doubt your salvation. I didn't mean to make anyone doubt their salvation last week, and it wasn't like we have to repent and trust Christ and submit to be saved. I would probably help you understand it if submission to Christ looks like Repent and believe. When people trusted Christ, they were submissive to Christ. How did they display their submission to Christ? By repenting and believing. So we're not adding to the gospel or adding to the good news, making it impossible to do. Like, I, I don't know if I'm really saved because I don't know if I really submitted to Christ. That, God doesn't want us to go through life, our whole life, questioning our salvation. Uh, if, we have, if you've turned from your sin, you're trusting in Christ alone, uh, based on the authority of God's word, you have believed. You're not looking at, uh, you're not, your eyes aren't blinded to see the glory of Christ. You can see his glory. And you need to be, be proclaiming his glory. And when Jesus is your Lord, um, you want to proclaim him. And that's what we see there in verse 5. So this treasure, and the word treasure there is a, is a term that's like a treasure chest. Something where a treasure is hidden. And what are we hiding treasure in, verse 7, in jars of clay? What? This is like a, if you go to, um, if you go to eBay and look up a Michael Jordan rookie card. Okay, I'm into a little bit of card collecting um, and looking to get some cards graded. But if you can find a 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie card. It doesn't have to be in super great condition, but the better the condition, if it's near the top of grading on a one, scale of one to 10, if it's a nine or a 10, I believe you're looking at about $100,000. That's one piece of cardboard that's red, white, blue, and a picture on the front. And the holder that that's in is just hard plastic. You can take, and I have a lot of cards, and if you've ever collected cards, you have a lot of junk cards. Cards that someone wouldn't even give you a nickel for. And most of our cards are like that. 
I bought a, a, a group of cards from this guy recently, uh, last year, and I'm looking through them, hoping to find something that's valuable, and most of the cards are five to 10 cents, probably. I'm like, junk, 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 junk. I can take those five or 10 cent card and I can put it in a holder that looks exactly like the Michael Jordan rookie card, but I don't have any treasure. All I have is cheap plastic and cheap cardboard. But if you take a Michael Jordan rookie card and you put it in cheap plastic, you have some treasure. Not because the plastic is great, because what's inside. It's the same if you have Men, you remember the day that you asked your wife to marry you and you had that priceless ring inside a very probably cheap ring holder. You could care less at how much that ring holder costs. That wasn't the, the point. That ring holder was keeping something in, um, priceless. It was keeping that safe. And so it is with the gospel. The gospel is this treasure that we have. Verse 7, we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can know him. We can see his light. Everything that we have seen before in last week's um, passage. We have this treasure. Where do we have this priceless treasure? In jars of clay. Now, we don't use jars of clay today, but we use cheap plastic or we would say a styrofoam cup or a paper cup. Okay, that's what he's saying here. Clay was nothing valuable um, in, in Paul's day, and the very uh, cheap clay was used to make jars. So we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay. Why do we have, and he's talking about our bodies here, as he's going to be pretty obvious uh, talking about our body, the body of Christ. So why is he telling us, encouraging us, with we have this treasure in jars of clay? Why do we have this treasure in jars of clay? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 7. To show that the surpassing power, the power of the gospel. The next book that Paul writes after 2 Corinthians is Romans. Romans 1.16 says what? About the, here is the power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You want to see God's power? Look at how much it's transformed people's lives. You have this treasure in clay, in these our earthly bodies, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we have to think as Christ wants us to think so that we will minister as Christ wants us to minister. Here's how he wants us to think. We have this treasure of the gospel. We can know Christ. We can see Christ. We can see his glory. As in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we can be changed by the glory of Christ. We have this treasure, treasure of knowing Christ in jars of clay. Reviewing from last week, we should be encouraged in ministry because we should magnify Christ's glory in compassion, we've all received mercy. We have God's truth. We don't have to manipulate God's truth. We just have to give it. We also understand that as we're ministering God's truth, that Satan's going to oppose us and try to blind the minds of people from seeing God's truth and being changed by that glory. We also uh, need to magnify God's glory uh, as it's seen in the light of Jesus.
So for today, building on that, what is Christ teaching us here? In verse 7, this verse is worth memorizing and meditating on. Because when we get a big head about, wow, when God saved me, he got somebody special. That's not the mindset here. When God saved you, you know what he got? More clay. And when he saves us, he gets more jars of clay. But the, the value is not in jars of clay. Nor would it be if you go to a, a card shop and look at all these plastic holders and there's nothing inside them. Or you go to a diamond or a ring shop and you look at all these ornate even holders of, of rings and they're all empty. You're not there to see the holders. You're not there to see the shell. You're there for what can go inside of that that makes that a treasure. What can go inside of these bodies is what makes these bodies valuable. Because these bodies are just jars of clay. You don't realize that until you get older and the, the jar starts cracking. <laughs> You're like, oh, this, the jar starts being painful. You have to actually think about how to get out of bed. You know you're getting old when you're on the floor playing and you're like, how do I get up again? Like, that's old. That's, what, that's, how, that's how it feels like when you get old. We have this treasure, though. And God wants to use us and use these clay bodies because what's inside of them is valuable. And it's Christ. We're in Christ and he is in us, the hope of glory. And we have this treasure in jars of clay so that we can show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, the martyrs knew this as they went to the stake and said, you can burn this jar of clay. You can burn this carcass, which John Huss said, my poor carcass, you can burn it. And I'm going to use my final breath to praise the Lord. It doesn't matter what people do to this jar of clay. They can't touch the treasure. And we know they can't touch the treasure, so we need to talk about the treasure. And what makes us different than the world is what's inside of us, not this. What's inside of us that people should be able to see. Why should they be able to see it? Well, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3.18 because we're being changed. We're being changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. So as people saw the glory of God on the face of Moses, they should see the glory of God in the way that we live in that we are encouraged while the whole world can be discouraged today. We can't be discouraged for long as Christians because we have a treasure in these jars of clay bodies. And we can point people to the power of God, not to ourselves. We don't change ourselves. God changes us. We don't. All we do is reflect the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We aren't the light. We aren't the knowledge. We aren't the glory. All we're doing in these jars of clay is reflecting. We're just reflecting God's glory. And God reminds us, unless we get a big head about our salvation or our eternal destiny or that we're in the family of God or we have this hope, 
The surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Verse 8. We are afflicted in every way. Now, these are terms that are only true of these earthly bodies. We feel affliction. We feel trouble with these bodies. We feel pain in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, and this is probably more of an emotional feeling, where we are confused. We're overwhelmed, we say, but we're not driven to despair. Continuing in verse 8. Or verse 9, persecuted. Of course, these bodies are, uh, are the targets of persecution for those, for the enemy. But not forsaken. See, they can throw us in a dungeon. They can feed us with meager rations. And in, the, in, the, in a dungeon like Paul was placed, feet in stocks, hands stretched apart, back bleeding. Paul and Silas knew they were not forsaken. And because they weren't forsaken, they're singing and praying. See, when we're not forsaken, even though they torture and persecute these jars of clay, they can't get at the treasure. They hate the treasure. They hate the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. They hate the fact that we can see Jesus Christ. We can see that in Acts 7, whenever Stephen got, gets to see the, the face of Jesus and the glory of God. People hated him even more and rushed at him, rushed at him and killed him as quickly as possible. They didn't want this guy to say one more word. And Paul knew what it was like to be beaten. He knew what it was like to be shipwrecked. He knew what it was like to be in prison. He knew what it was like to be stoned and left for dead. And so Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The world can afflict us, but they can't crush us. The world can perplex us and help us to be confused about which team we're on. Is it really worth it? All the trouble and trials that you're going through. The world can persecute these bodies. And their world can tell us and lie to us and say, God has forsaken you. And those aren't true. We can be struck down, but not destroyed. Now, if I were to, to give you this list and say to Paul, as Paul was when he was first saved, Ananias goes and tells him how much he must suffer for Christ's sake. I don't know if Ananias said something along these lines. Paul, you're going to be afflicted in every way, but you're not going to be crushed. You're going to be perplexed, but you're not going to be driven to despair. You're going to be persecuted, but you're not forsaken. You're going to be struck down, but you're not going to be destroyed. And Paul's probably, as a new believer, thinking, I don't know if I should be encouraged or discouraged by what he just told me. But for Christians, when we trust Christ, we look in the mirror and say, what I see is valuable is Christ in me. I, we have to look past these earthly bodies. These earthly bodies, as we look in the mirror, don't look as young as they used to. When we see someone out playing a sport, and are like, oh man, I'd love to go out there and show those guys a thing or two. My mind says that, and my body says, no, you're not as young as you used to be. You can't do things that you used to do physically. And when it comes to the gospel and sharing the gospel, 
we need to keep speaking because God's power needs to be shared. The gospel is the power of God. And as we share the power of God, there are going to be people that absolutely hate what we're saying. And they're going to afflict us, perplex us, persecute us, and strike us down. All physical trials, emotional trials, the perplexing there. But we need to realize we won't be, God won't allow us to be crushed. God won't allow our spirit to be in despair for long. God will not allow us to be forsaken as we represent him. And God will not allow us to be utterly destroyed. See, they can, they can take this body and they can burn it at a stake. And you say, well, their body's destroyed. Did they destroy the treasure inside or just the jar of clay? And the answer, just the jar of clay. They can't touch the treasure. They can't touch your soul. They can't touch the eternal part of you that goes to live with God forever. They can't destroy the soul. Only God can determine the eternal destiny of your soul. And when you are His and He is yours, He will hold you fast. And no one, death, life, angels, principalities, we heard a couple weeks ago, can separate you from the love of God. They, you can't, and while they try desperately to make us, as Christians, feel like we are losers, like we're following a crucified Savior, what shame is there in that to say the person that you're following was tortured and crucified as a criminal. Yeah. And then we can reply with a sparkle in our eye, but he's alive. And he's coming again. And the second time, he's not coming as a suffering servant, as an example. He's coming as a conquering king. And every eye will see him. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when we know that, and that day is coming, and Jesus says, I gave you these bodies and they're just jars of clay. It's not about your body, your physical body, about what's inside it. It's about the treasure inside there. And they can do all these things to try to get you to, to be crushed and, and despairing, and for, feel forsaken and feel like you're going to be destroyed and you're going to, be, you're, you're going to perish forever. But all those are not true because we have seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And let's continue reading. Let me get our notes here. The treasure of the gospel in our clay bodies shows it's his power, not ours. It's God's power, not ours. Does that keep you, does that help you feel proud or humble? See, the world is constantly trying to build us up. You're really something special. You're really good. Just look inside yourself. All those are lies. We're not really something special. <laughs> really something vile and awful. We're wretches. And Christ takes these vile wretches of humanity and transforms them by his power, by his glory so that 
He gets the glory for using these jars of clay, these styrofoam, paper cups. It's what's inside that counts. And we didn't put it there. God did. This is the gospel, the treasure of the gospel. And while people can torture us and, and lie to us, we don't have to despair. We realize that we're not crushed. Our soul can't be crushed. No one can condemn us to hell. No one can separate us from the love of God. We'll never be forsaken. Christ was forsaken on the cross. We'll never be forsaken and will not be destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why does he say that? Paul has scars on his physical body. His first missionary journey is when he was stoned, left for dead. He has visible scars probably on his head, his hands, people that people hit him with stones that cut his skin. And as he preaches from then on, and he says things like this, I am carrying in my body the death of Jesus. Did Jesus have scars? Oh, yes, he did. Did he have scars on his jar of clay, on his physical body? He did. And if you ask Paul, why did you get stoned, Paul? It was because while I was ministering in, I think it was Lystra, and I was sharing the gospel with people, and they didn't like it. They actually wanted to, to worship us with, um, uh, thought we were these gods because we healed somebody. And we told them we weren't these gods, and these Jewish people came and said, these guys aren't gods, they're, they're fake, stone them, get rid of them. And they listened to the mob, and uh, we ended up getting, uh, getting beaten and getting um, left for dead. And Paul has elsewhere a list of all that he had to endure with his body. He's carrying in his jar of clay. He's carrying the body of the death, in this body, the death of Jesus. He's reminding people, Jesus died. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my master. I'm his slave. If Jesus wants my body to go through this, that's up to him. And as my Savior and Master and Lord has me go through this, he's going to be with me every step of the way. And if we could look at church history, was Jesus Christ with the people that were dragged to the stake and other torturous things that they had to deal with? And the answer is yes. Today, whenever people get arrested and thrown into prison just for worshiping, just for reading the word, it's an illegal copy of the Bible, their government says. And they won't bow to their government, and they say, okay, <laughs> you can rip up my Bible to shreds and throw it in the fire. And uh, we know that there are other people that are copying God's word. Illegal copies, but... They love God's word. And they, they could tell you, they could stand here and testify with scars on their body, having been in prison for some of, some of them decades. And they would agree with the Apostle Paul to the word and say, this is worth it. This is what you feel like. This is what they can do to your body, but this is what they can't do to you in verses 8 and 9. 
And you can say, I'm always caring about in my body the death of Jesus. Why does Paul always carry in his body the death of Jesus? He gives us another so that, a purpose. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. They can treat these bodies like they treated Jesus' body. Yes, Paul says. But why do I allow them to do that? Paul says, I I want you guys to encourage you. They can do all these things to our bodies. But you have to think like this. This body is not yours. From 1 Corinthians 6, it's not yours. It's definitely not yours as you're sharing the gospel. And as God allows these bodies to go through some torture, some persecution, some confusion. We need to realize this is why Jesus allows this, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested. Paul can tell you that it was worth it to get stoned. It was worth it to get beaten. After the Philippian jailer story, if you ask Paul and Silas, was it worth it? They'd say, absolutely, we'll go to the next city if we get beaten and we still get to see a whole family trust Christ in the middle of the night. Worth it. And you ask all these people that have ever lived in Christianity from the New Testament on who have been martyred, and they'll say, you ask, we can ask them in heaven, was it worth it? They'll say, absolutely worth it. We don't think that way. Why? Because we're comfortable. If it's 75 in here, oh, man, are you serious? 75? And it, uh, there's no padding in some pews in churches? The chairs are hard? The preacher goes long? And it's complaining. We think we've got it hard. Really? Are you serious? You got it hard. You don't have it hard. And even Paul, if you ask him if he had it hard, he'd say, eh. Hard is a relative term. It doesn't matter if you have it hard. All that matters is the treasure that's inside. And am I doing what God told me to do with that treasure, which is to share it with others? And as they trust Christ, tell them, hey, don't worry about what they can do to this body. It's just a jar of clay. Because you can use that jar of clay to magnify the death of Jesus. You can also use that jar of clay to magnify the life of Jesus. And that's what he says here at the end of verse 10 that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When Paul dies, he's not going around as a spirit or anything other mystical way of sharing the gospel. His time of sharing the gospel is over. But as he has a body, and he drags that body all around the, the Roman Empire, he's dragging that body around and enduring all kinds of crazy things that we would say he's nuts. He says, you don't understand the treasure. <laughs> The treasure of the gospel is is worth dragging this body around. It is. Because the joy of seeing soul after soul turn from darkness to the light. To watch someone for the first time when you tell them Jesus died on the cross for your sins and here they are thinking, "I I thought I was a good person, now I realize I'm really bad, I have no idea how to get rid of my sin. And Jesus is the one who took their place. And I've had someone say to me recently, he got a bad deal. It was their first time they heard the gospel. There are people in New England all around us, they probably haven't even heard the gospel. 
the whole plan of salvation. And you have the treasure of the gospel in your body to share. Paul clearly here doesn't care what they do to his physical body. He's just using that physical body so that he can share the life of Jesus with others. That's verses 8 to 10. The suffering because of ministry. And you say, why is suffering encouraging? Because don't don't think that if we're going to share the gospel, everything's going to be great. If we're going to be obedient to Christ, my life's going to be easier. My physical life is going to be easier. No, it's not. It's probably going to be harder. But it's worth it. You say, ah, I don't, I don't think it's worth it. Okay, you're not thinking as Paul wants us to think here. All right? The suffering is because of the ministering the gospel shows Christ's life, not our lives. It's all about him. And he says it over and over and over again in these passages. It's not about us. The sufficiency is not about us. The power is not about us. The glory is not about us. None of this is about us. It's all about him. And when you're in a culture that it's all about you, it's really hard to think countercultural. It's hard for us to think, what's in it for me? When physically there might be nothing in it for you. Oh, man, and I don't know if I want to drag this body around and get tortured and persecuted and perplexed, feel like I'm going to be destroyed. Well, it is worth it. And it will be worth it. When you hear these words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Until then, it might not be worth it. But from that moment to all of eternity, it'll be worth it. Well, this, and we're going to get to that. I can't jump ahead, but this is where we're going in 2 Corinthians um, 4, one of my favorite chapters, but that's another week. All right, so the suffering is because of ministering the gospel shows Christ's life. So as we drag these bodies out of bed, this body is yours on loan for a temporary period of time to show the glory of God. That's all it is. You can know Christ through this body. You can learn about him. You can see the light of the glory when God removes the veil. As you see it, you realize this body is just the jar of clay. It's just housing what's in the treasure inside. And don't, don't worry too much about what this body is can or cannot do, just live for your Savior. Verses 11 and 12. For we who live, that means you're giving your body to Christ to show Christ's life and Christ's death in your body. For we who live this way are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Paul at times, and we saw in the book of Acts, had to be encouraged to go to Corinthians and say, go to Corinth and I'm not going to have you um, be tortured there. I have many people there. You're actually physically going to be safe. And God knows the limits of these bodies. God doesn't allow us to be tempted more than we are able, right? But always with the temptation makes a way to escape so that we can bear even the torture. And you watch people and hear their stories of how God was with them in the interrogation room. God was with them as they were the next day when Paul, Peter was supposed to face uh, execution, he's sleeping soundly between the guards when he was escaping prison. And they had to wake him up. What causes someone on their day before their, their execution to sleep soundly? It is the grace of God. 
It is God's presence to never leave you nor forsake you. And God will be with us. And as these jars of clay get older, some of you are, might be terrified of dying, but you don't have to be. These bodies of clay aren't meant to last forever. And God will be with you and give you dying grace. And you can watch godly people who have gone before us on, in the hospital on their deathbed, and man, God was with them in a remarkable way. And they testified of his glory and grace up right up until the end. God doesn't leave us. God doesn't forsake us. And when we minister for him, we realize these bodies are just for him to show his life, to show his death. He definitely is pleased with this. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why are you always given over, Paul? He gives us a third reason here. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. It sounds very similar to the end of verse 10. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So why are we showing Christ's death? Why are we willing to put these bodies in harm's way time and time and time and time again? And Paul would say, so that the life of Jesus would be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then he concludes, verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I don't think this is exactly what he said before when he says, uh, we are forsaken, we're, we're cast down, but you guys are kings, you guys are exalted. That's not the idea here. The idea here is we're willing to die for the work of Christ if we can share that life with you. That's what he's saying in verse 12. We are willing, we have already died to self. What this mortal body wants, this mortal body doesn't get. You know what this mortal body's telling you? Pamper yourself. Make sure you're as comfortable as possible. Don't take risks. Don't make, let anyone make fun of you. Don't let anyone hit you physically. If you think that they're going to, do not minister to them. Don't tell them about Jesus. And Paul says, <laughs> no, that's exactly opposite of what he's saying here. It doesn't matter what people are going to do with this physical body. He is going to keep sharing the life, even if he feels like, in verse 11, my body's being given over to death. It's for Jesus' sake. So that my life, the life of Jesus also may be manifested. I just want people to know about Jesus. Did Jesus go to risky places? Absolutely. And when told not to go to Jerusalem, he set his face in Luke 9 to go to Jerusalem. And the rest of Luke tells us that no one Nothing could turn his face away from going to the cross. As this was God's will for him. And God's will for us is to speak. We don't know what's going to happen. I can't guarantee you anything. That's what, how your body's going to be comfortable. You're going to have a, a huge nest egg for retirement. I can't guarantee any of that. What I can guarantee is God will be with you through all the trials. And it'll be better than sitting on a luxury yacht or sitting on a beach somewhere playing bocce and fishing your retirement years. It's going be better than that. The life of Christ is an exciting life. It's a life that is worth living, and it isn't a life that you retire from. And we hear missionaries say this, especially missionaries going to hard-to-reach people. The reason they're hard-to-reach is because there's probably a lot of risk 
that other people don't really want to pay the price. They don't want to have to go into that area, whether it's uncomfortable with the jungle or food or tribes or, or ISIS or something else. Suffering. You say this doesn't sound very encouraging. Well, Paul's telling us not to lose heart. Suffering's coming. If we live for Christ, if we speak for Christ, if we show Christ, we're going to suffer. The suffering in verses 11 and 12 is because of ministering the gospel shows Christ's life. And see, Paul's not focused now on himself dying. He says, you know what he's focused on? I get to share the life of Jesus with others. This is what motivates Paul to go from city to city. What motivates him to drag himself out from underneath rocks, dust himself off, maybe have to get stitches or something to hold the wounds closed so that the blood, he doesn't lose too much blood. And then he marches 20 plus miles to the next city the next day. What motivated Paul? We're seeing what motivated him right here. And it can motivate you too. And it should. We need to think like this. We need to think suffering is temporary. This physical body is just temporary. Even if I try to pamper it, even if I feed it all kinds of really good food and exercise it, it's still not going to last forever. But don't focus on the externals. Focus on the treasure. Sharing Christ. Knowing Christ. Seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Verse 6. That's where it's at. That's truly living. And if people around us want to be comfortable, they should not be comfortable with our gospel presentation. So it's not about us. It's not about feeling safe. It's about knowing that God is with us when we're doing what he wants us to do. What does he want us to do? He wants us to carry in our bodies the death of Christ, so that we can share the life of Jesus. So while death might be for the minister, he is not focused on his his physical, his jar of clay dying. What he's focused on, can I share the life of Jesus with you? That's what he's focused on. That's what we can focus on. That's the encouragement. William Hunter, a name that you might not have heard of. You may have heard of John Huss. William Hunter lived in the mid-1500s. So this is 140 years after John Huss goes to the stake. William Hunter is going to go to the stake. He lives in a what was now be called a suburb of London, Brentwood, England. And you can find on Google Maps, you can find a picture of the obelisk that stands in the center of town that commemorates this young man. At age 19... He goes to prison for reading the Bible. Reading the Bible, that's it. Mary, Queen of Scots, is on the throne. She's also known as Bloody Mary. And trying to get England to go back to Catholicism is not going to put up with this. And being very close to London, they're carrying out the Queen's wishes probably in all the towns around. And William is told not to read the word, not to read the word. And they let him out of prison to go to his farm or his home and they're going to burn him at the stake on his own property. What would his parents think of William Hunter? 
Well, they told him they were proud of him. They were proud to have a son willing to die for Christ's sake. This is in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And at close to the stake, William says, I can't turn from God for love of this world. I count all worldly things but loss and dung compared to the love of Christ. See, when you're faced with are you going to give up your jar of clay early? Is it worth it? William Hunter, for the last 430 years in heaven, has said yes. Yes, it's worth it. This is part of the monument there that's in Brentwood, England. Do you look what this world has to offer as dung. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. But this passage of Scripture is a sober encouragement for us. And it leads us to verse 15, which we read. We, I thought I was going to try to cover up to verse 15 and realize it was too much. So verse 15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving. To the glory of God. See, when people are right with God, and this matches what Romans 1 says too, when people see God's glory and are submissive to God's glory, they're thankful. When they see God's glory in Romans 1 and they change the glory of God to something else, they're not thankful. So for us today, we can live and, and uh, enjoy the 4th of July tomorrow and we can thank God for this country. But don't put a lot of treasure in this country. This country is following the Romans one path, going away from God. God's starting to let our country go. You say, oh, it's hard. Okay, we don't have to be. We can be perplexed, and we don't have to despair, though. Why don't we despair? Because we aren't, uh, first and foremost, Americans. We're not. What are we first and foremost? We're Christians. We're Christ followers. For me to live is Christ. And to die is actually gain. And John Huss and William Hunter, 140 years later, would agree with that. Will you agree with that? For you to live, is it Christ? Is it all about him that his power might be seen in this jar of clay? So that, and, and you might carry about in your body some scars that you have received emotional scars, physical scars, for trying to share the gospel. And it's not deterring you. You're not stopping. You've seen the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and you want others to see it too. And when others see it, you're like, it is so worth it giving this jar of clay for this eternal purpose. That's what Paul's telling us to do. We're going to have three of us pray here at the end, and we're going to thank God. Leading toward thanksgiving here in this passage, we're going to thank God for verse 7, and I'm going to encourage you to do these thanking God this week. Can you do this? Will you pray this week this way? Thank God for reminding us it is His power in our clay body, the power of the gospel. That's a good reminder for us from verse 7, verses 8 through 10.
Thank God for not allowing us to be crushed, despairing, forsaken, or destroyed. God's in control of our soul. Man, even us, we're not in charge of it. We can thank God for that. As we minister, we're hopeful. Thank God for using these dying physical bodies to minister eternal life to others. You're not going to escape death. Death is coming for all of us. So use your clay body to speak life. And then a final thought. So we're going to pray those three things. Hutch is going to pray the first one. I'll pray the second one. John Sparkman will pray the third. Hopefully to summarize this. And when we're thankful, we will be encouraged. Thankful people are encouraged people. You can't read what God has done for us and how he's removed the veil and allowed us to see his glory and walk away thinking, eh, I'm entitled to see that. <laughs> no, none of us are entitled to see anything. All we're entitled is to is hell. And if we get less than hell, we should be encouraged and thankful. And we can see God's glory. And we're thankful for these sober reminders to, to wake us up and to use what little time, the fleeting vapor of a life that we have for something that will way outlive us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Hutch, you can come and uh, pray, and then, then I'll pray, and then John will close our prayer time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for showing us who you are and who we are. Father, even though we are jars of clay that you've put into us, that treasure of your glorious gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, help us to think back on the day that we saw our salvation, Lord, and help us to know that we surrendered all. We said we surrendered all to you, but yet in our mortal bodies and our flesh, we sometimes cling on to things that we don't want to give up. Help us to regard our flesh as worthless, Lord, and help us to think as the martyrs did, Lord, who gave their lives at burning of the stakes and, and losing their heads for you. Lord, help us to not consider the flesh, but consider the spirit that lives within us, that your spirit gives us power because that power is in your word and in you and not in us. And help us, Lord, to take that gospel that you gave us and that lives within us and share it with others so at the end there'll be more people to be thankful to your glory, Lord. And we give you the glory, glory this day and thank you for the message. Stir it in our hearts and in our minds throughout the week that we may someday hear good and faithful servant. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our Father, thank you for being with us and helping us to not be crushed or despairing or forsaken or destroyed. Thank you for crushing Christ and forsaking him on the cross. And thank you for promising us that you'll be with us as we carry out uh, your great commission, that you'll be with us uh, until the end. Thank you for being with uh, the martyrs. Thank you for being with those in prison right now. I pray that they would uh, know and appreciate this passage of scripture, and it would minister to their hearts as well. In Jesus' name.
Father, we're thankful that you have chosen to save us, that you have deposited your Holy Spirit in, inside of us, that you've put this, the great treasure of the gospel in the jars of clay that you've given. I pray that you would change our value systems so that we would value the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ more highly than our own personal comfort. You would help us to value pleasing you through telling people about you more than our own uh, desire to be well looked upon. We thank you for the physical bodies that you've given to us. As we age, they deteriorate, and that can consume our, our thoughts and energy, but I pray that you would help us to turn our thoughts and energy to how we can minister the eternal life that you've given through Jesus Christ to people that are around us, that we'd be more concerned about their eternal life than our physical life today. I pray that we would have the mind of Christ in this, that we would be more like him, willing to give of ourselves so that others could be saved. We thank you that the, the gospel is the power of salvation. We ask you to give us the, the courage the boldness to speak that to people, that we would be witnesses of what you have done in our lives so that they can see you as well. And we ask that you would draw them and that you would accomplish what only you can do, and that is to give life to the dead. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our precious Savior. Amen. All right. Not sure if Joanne and Andy are out in the fellowship hall. I know Dave Oliva is out of the country, so he is gone for 17 days and will be back. And when he's back, we'll welcome him into membership. Dave Lemieux is here, and we're glad. And the resets on the back row are here. So if Joanne and Andy are here, if they're not, we'll welcome them when they first get back. So. I will have the resets, and Dave, you can go back and stand in front of the table back there. We'll sing our song, uh, Bless Be the Tie That Binds, and then we will be dismissed and go welcome them uh, into membership. All right, let's stand as we sing. <clears throat> 